punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle, and the Leafs are moved again! Welcome to a special edition of the Nesson Bruins podcast on Nesson.com's Mike Cole, joined, as always, by Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Logan, we are here to discuss and celebrate the career of one Zdeno Chara, Boston Bruins captain, who will be featured this Sunday night uh, at Chara, uh, Chara at 1,000 uh, on Nesson at 7 p.m. Uh, so you and I are just going to kind of, uh, you know, as I just mentioned, discuss uh, the illustrious career of the Bruins captain, who's still going strong uh, if we ever get back yes. to hockey uh, yeah. at this point. So, um I don't know. I, you've kind of spearheaded Nesson.com's content barrage uh, to uh, to help with the the promotion of this uh, this must see TV event, which actually is a is a must see TV. The, the Bergeron, Bergeron one was fantastic. Was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we're we'll just have a quick conversation about the really the legacy of Zdeno Chara and, and where he kind of stands in Bruins lore and New England sports lore, et cetera, et cetera. Um. So what are your just uh, initial off the off the top thoughts on uh, Zdeno Chara? Boston. Well, considering we haven't had live hockey in over two months now, it's weird that this is this time frame has been the most I've ever thought about Sedano Chara yeah. in probably my life. Uh, and that's a good thing because in some respects it's, you know, pretty it, – it's easy to forget, one, just how long he's been around generally in the NHL, but also specifically in Boston. I mean, a thousand games. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's no small feat. And I think – and we've talked about this before that, like, you know, with the Tom Brady's and the David Ortiz's in the, of the world, and specifically as it relates to Boston, like, Chara can get lost in a shuffle sometimes. But you want to talk about – I mean, Chara is in the same realm as Tom Brady in terms of, like, overhauling a franchise. And, like, between – Talent and leadership abilities alone. I mean, he was a transcendent figure in the Bruins organization. I mean, especially when you consider what they were before he showed up, not to be down on that team too much, but like the Bruins of the mid-2000s needed a change of direction. Uh, And the hiring of Claude and bringing in Chara certainly altered the path of the Bruins that we're still seeing play out today. Um, And so, you know, the on-ice stuff is what it is, but you certainly can argue, too, that the most impact that he's had on the organization is just changing – and not even changing necessarily, but altering and forming a culture that will probably remain in place long after he's gone. I, I mean, you look at even guys like Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo, who will probably be around for years after Chara has since retired, and – those are guys that are going to carry on that mold that he's established over the last decade plus. Um, so, I mean, there are, for an organization that has had many iconic talents and figures and whatnot, Chara most certainly is up there. Possibly above all else, certainly in terms of off ice and leadership contributions, um, just because of the direction he steered the franchise in. Yeah, I mean, you could argue in that regard. I mean, Orr clearly is the best player in franchise right. history. I, I think Bork probably takes a little bit of Chara and a little bit of Orr, and that probably puts him ahead in terms of 
that intangible that you're talking about. But, you know, Chara, I mean, you can make the argument, I guess, for somebody like Bergeron. Chara hasn't had necessarily what Bork had in Neely um, Mm -hmm. or even Oates or, you know, you want to go down the list. I don't know. Like, it's – it, it'll this will be looked at probably as the Zdeno Chara era of the Bruins, and I think that's a lot of that is for you know is tied to to most of the things that you mentioned. I think the dependability uh, and the durability is a huge thing too. Is that yeah. uh, and that's how you kind of establish that that culture or whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm just looking at his numbers here. I mean, they signed him in the, the summer of '06. 80 games, 77 games, 80 games, 80 games, 81, 79. He played all 48 in the lockout year, 77. And, I mean, this is into his mid-30s, uh, 63, 80 even as an, a 38-year-old, 75 as a 39-year-old, 73 as a 40 like, um, which is a, a testament to two things. It's a testament to the, the shape that he keeps himself in. Uh, and it's also, like, I think it's easier to establish that culture uh, when you're – you know, when you're there, when you're around. Yeah. And so I think that that's helped as well. Uh, I, you know, he's a guy too, who at his best, I think this kind of gets lost in, in a lot of the conversation about the, you know, Chara is that he was really, really good. Like, yeah. um, probably should have won more Norris trophies than he did. Uh, he was a legitimate shutdown defenseman. I mean, he is, in my opinion, a hall of famer. Um, he's a guy who, you know, you, you build out. And I think, like I said, and you know, what Peter Shirelli did in getting him here and then building around that is, I think those are really, if you want to step back and look at it, probably the two biggest factors for this entire run. It's two biggest players. Or, well, that's a bad term because one of them is not a player. But it's the two most important figures, maybe three if you want to include Claude, are, uh, you know, Chara, Shirelli, and I guess if you want to say Claude. So, like, to be part of – you know, to be the the central figurehead of one of the most, if not the most important or uh, most impressive runs in, in franchise history. Like that's, that's going to be a conversation that we're going to have at a certain point. And that, you know, we can't have that yet because Char is still here and he's like that main right. staple. So that, again, that speaks to the longevity is we're going on, you know, what, 15 years now of the, this, um, he has been the, the staple throughout all of that. And that's, you're right. Like he, what he's built in there and what he's kind of contributed to uh, continues to mold the way that they make their decisions and kind of how they bring guys up. Um, and that probably will, yeah, that definitely will outlast him. Uh, and that's, I think that speaks also to the Bruins, like the seamless transition, relatively speaking of going from somebody like Shirelli to Sweeney or from uh, yeah. Julian to, to Cassidy, it's clear that they've been able to get buy-in Um you know, across the board. And I think a lot of that is credited to Chara for what he's been able to, you know, build. Um, it's weird. It's, it, 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 it's very, like, it's, I'm with you. Like it's very akin to what Brady did in new England with the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Cause like, you know, if the, your best player, one of your best players is a guy who works the hardest. He's the guy who says the least, he's the guy who, you know, the least negative, I, I should say. Um, he's the, the model citizen. Then everybody else has to fall in line. Um, and that's manifested itself differently in, with the Bruins that they're the Patriots. With the Patriots, it was kind of like, you know, Brady took gruff from Belichick, and it's like, well, if this guy's taking it, then we all have to. But I think with Chara, it's, you know, this guy comes back and works his ass off, uh, you know, during the preseason, 
he's always ready to go and he's going to be ready to play. And I think that's expected of everybody else around him. And that kind of just brings everybody up with him. Uh, and that's how you, how you build a winning culture. I think it's one of the more fascinating and also underplayed storylines of this entire run of Boston sports. It's just mm-hmm. how, without uh, with, you know, how important he's been and really how much of this is built around that, that one guy who kind of, and you know, I think it's easy to forget about because he's a defenseman, you know, he doesn't necessarily, He's not scoring 40 goals a year or anything like that, but uh, you know, he's clearly the, the 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 one common link from, you know, just think of how different things are in 06 than they are right now. Like, uh, it's yeah. it's really – but at the same time, they you know, these teams have been good since pretty much an entire time. So, yeah. it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and – I, I agree with the fact that – or your point that he probably could have won more Norris trophies. Like, I know his offensive numbers now are not that impressive. And, like, the unfortunate reality of the Norris trophy is a lot of those guys end yeah. up winning it because they put up big numbers. I mean, Char had 50 points the year that he won the Norris. And, you know, the, the last few years he's been a little bit closer to 20 points or whatever. But he still remained, even well into his 30s, a legitimate top pairing defenseman. I mean, we've gone back and watched a lot of those 2011 games during this pause. And it's like, you watch him and Dennis Seidenberg just logging massive freaking minutes the entire, uh, the entire time. And, you know, he was doing that even into this most recent postseason. He's playing through a broken jaw. Like he just, he is always reliable and dependable. And one thing, and I, I think especially recently, I mean, I I never fault guys for wanting to go and get their money. Uh, and I think Char is the type of guy who he, when his long-term deal came up and he started switching to the one-year plan, he probably could have gone somewhere else and got a pretty decent multi-year deal. Um, and, and this is one of the things that we've written about for this Char 1000 special is the fact that before the 2018-19 season, him taking a pay cut allowed them to make a lot of moves they otherwise wouldn't have been able to make. Chief among them bringing in Yarrow Halak. But that was also the year that they brought in John Moore, Chris Wagner, Joachim Nordstrom, and like the, these smaller players that allowed them at the trade deadline to have the space to get Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson. And like, you know, a, a veteran defenseman signing a one-year deal at a low cap figure is a relatively inconsequential move in the broad scheme of things. But like, that opened up a lot for the Bruins because they were a team that was so tight up against the cap. I mean, if he took market value, the Bruins probably don't get to make a lot of ultimately, you know, season altering personnel moves that they end up moving or making. So, I mean, they, the way he's impacted the franchise lately, just by continuing to play at a high level, he single-handedly like, vastly accelerated, I think, the development of Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy by putting them on a, uh, on pairings with him over the course of time, you know, all while he's essentially playing at a pay cut is I mean, just something that I think, again, is shapes the direction and the culture of the franchise. I mean, that, the Bruins have a very good room, and it's hard not to – look at that and think that it doesn't have that's that it's not in large part because of char 
Yeah, and it, it's set up for years after he's gone, too. Like, if you really mm-hmm. want to think about it, because, I mean, it's funny. Like, if, if I could get good enough odds on it, I might think about betting on Patrice Bergeron retiring before Zdeno Chara, which is insane to think about. But, like – It could end up happening at the same time. Yeah, right. I, I don't think it'll happen, but, I mean, that's – Speaks to both of them, but so let's just say Chara retires before Bergeron, which is very much the more likely scenario. Um, then Bergeron, you know, I I don't want to take anything away from Bergeron and say that his demeanor is in large part because of Chara, because I think Bergeron mm-hmm. on his own is, I you know, one of the more perfect athletes we've ever seen yeah. uh, on and off the ice, and, and what he can what he brings to the table, but that lineage is clearly set up to, to go to Bergeron and then probably to Marshawn, like really if you, or, and or Pasternak coil and that may like, there's this if is Krug sticks around. Krug. Yeah, exactly. This Carlo. I mean, there's a succession yeah. plan very much in place for the next 10 to 15 years. If you are able to kind of keep a handful of those guys around, if you want to do that, who knows? I mean, maybe they, they just aren't good enough or maybe better players come around. I don't know. Lock and change, but that culture is going to far outlive Zdeno Chara's career, which is – And it is funny, too. It is funny, too, because he knew what he was doing when he signed here and was insistent that they made him the captain, that, like, his signing here was predicated on that. Right. Because, I mean, he, he had a vision, and over the course of the last 14 years, he's enacted it. Yeah, and I think that's one thing, too, that's interesting. And I, I imagine that will – really get played up in the uh in the chart at 1000 on sunday night is that i'm really interested to hear more about his philosophies and how he approaches team building or you know not not the way don sweeney approaches team building but literally like building a a team in that room uh i i think he's a guy who he's gotten credit in the past and uh there are stories about how he is anti-hazing and things like that he's a you know he gets credit for uh, a lot of players former teammates current teammates will you know speak glowingly of how he goes out of his way to make sure everyone's included um he's a guy who you know treats seemingly everybody with class and respect and i think that that's something that you know maybe that's just the way he was raised but i also think that there is uh, a benefit to that i think he gains from that and i think that it's going to be really interesting to kind of hear more about his theories and why he's done it the way he's done it. Um, I mean, I, the reason he's done it is because it, it works apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm interested to kind of see where, where all of that came from. And um, I think a lot of it is, is his upbringing. And I think that that's another thing that manifests itself uh, in the way he plays. I think it's, he was, you know, he, his dad was hard on him. Uh, you know, he, he grew up in, uh, you know, a different part of the world where maybe values are a little bit different than they are here in, uh, in America or Canada. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, it weaves itself in and out of his entire career too, where it's, he's had to play different roles. I mean, just like, again, still looking at his numbers, like the guy had 157 penalty minutes in like his first full season or second, third full season mm-hmm. and thereabouts, uh, 150, like, so he's a guy who's been physical at times. He's been tough at times. Uh, been a shutdown defenseman, just the evolution, his ability to kind of yeah. evolve uh, as a player is interesting. And, and I'm interested to hear how he evolved as a, as a captain and, and as a teammate. So, Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because he, he never had to be a goon 
either. Like right. you look at guys his size sometimes, you know, John Scott's probably the easy example where it's like, you know, if you can't contribute either as a shutdown defensive player or have some sort of offense in your game, like you can hang around in the NHL, but it's typically by throwing haymakers. And he's just over the course of time done a very fine job of weaving in, you know, the physical stuff while also taking care of literally every other aspect of his game. Like he, you know, it's no accident. He's hung around in the NHL as long as he has. It's interesting. I was just looking at it right now. I mean, he did kind of going it up is the wrong way of putting it. Cause he was still averaging 19 minutes of ice time, but I'm just looking at his first two seasons. Uh, well, first season and a half on Long Island. 133 penalty minutes in 84 games. So, like, you know, he did what he had to do to kind of break in, make his impact felt, and then kind of went from there. So, I think that's kind of a testament to him as well. Also, one of the things I've always – the better quotes or whatever anecdotes about him I've enjoyed is, like, um, people – there are people who think or said he should win the the Lady Bing every year. Yeah. Because he's he's big enough to just rip guys from limb to limb. Uh, at any given notice, uh, but he he doesn't. And I think that's a, an interesting. Thing. You watch some of the fights he's had over the years. He's this guy. He even treats opponents with relative respect, which is a wild thing to say when you're talking about punching another man in the face. But. Yeah, I mean George Peros has said it too that he is so thankful Char doesn't do to opponents what he could. Yeah, because you know that, that for one it would be lopsided and it's like you know. Trevor really doesn't run into discipline issues you yeah, know, or, okay. or crossing the line. And it, it's really incredible how he keeps his head. Like you look at the Evander Kane thing last year where Evander yeah. Kane basically jumped him from behind. I was like, you know, he beat up Evander Kane, but at the same time it was just like it it, it didn't get nastier than it needed to be. Yeah. Like, like if Char really wanted to impose his will in fights, like he very well could. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, right. I mean, it's another thing too with him. Uh, I had one more point to make about that, but I already forgot, obviously. So that's good. Um, oh, no, that was, I was going to mention the, during one of these like Zoom calls that they had early in the, during the pause, uh, when he was on with the other, was it captains, I think, of the Atlantic Division it, team? Yeah, just, I don't know if it was the captains, but it was like him, Tavares. Like Brady Kachuk and yeah. Dylan Larkin, I think. Right, yeah. So, and I just thought it was interesting when they talked about him and how, like, he's for you know we could sit here and applaud him for not beating the piss out of everybody uh, every night, but he still makes it very difficult to play against. And even at forty three, he's still a guy where you know Tavares talked about he hates having to go to the front of the net. You know, if you're coming down the wing and and Chara, I mean, he's still really good at this. You see it, like if he. You know, he's not as quick as he used to be, but if he has that step and that angle towards the boards, he's going to rub guys off, you know, before they can get uh, deep in the zone. So it's it's still very difficult to play against a guy like that. So. Yeah. Well, and, and right, he's certainly found a way as he's gotten older to still use his side, his size as an advantage as his quickness has gone a little bit. And he's the hockey IQ stuff. Like, he's a smart player. You can tell, too. Like, whereas he can't catch up to guys with speed so much anymore. He knows how to use his length to take better angles and whatnot. Like he's, again, he still shuts off guys pretty well, you know, 
it's tough to shut off the the speed guys like McDavid and you know take your pick another Oiler Andreas Athanasiu like those very fast guys. Um, but he finds a way. What's all said and done? What's going to be the lasting image for you as the Daniel Chara? Was it the cup? I mean, it kind of has to be. I feel like it has to be the cup. I feel like if the Bruins win in 2019, yeah, it's probably the Game Five intro. Yep, um, that's what I was gonna say. Or, was... or the resulting them lifting the cup after right. Game Seven. Uh, but because of how that panned out, it would probably have to be 2011. Yeah, for me. Yeah, that's true. I I was at that game, the Game Five, as a fan. Uh, it was probably the coolest thing. I've ever been a part of at a, at a game. Um, and I covered that game seven, uh, 2013 against the Leafs, uh, the comeback, which I guess was probably the, the nuttiest one, but just, uh, I still remember, you know, being in the office after, so that was game four, he got hurt game four in St. Louis yeah. and seeing him, it sounded like he, you know, if he doesn't, you know, the thought was if he has a broken jaw, he's done. Like there's no way he can play. Um, and I remember, he was on the ice for morning skate. I think it was, Yeah. I don't think it, but him being on the ice for morning skate, the morning of game five was like, Oh, this is like, this is sports. This well, is right. stuff going on right now. That was such a weird day too. Cause I, I remember him handwrite or handwriting answers yes. to questions. Cause right. they're like, can't really talk. And we know everyone wants to talk to him. So I think a pool reporter or something gave him two two handwritten questions. Um, yeah, and that's how he responded. It was you know distributed to the media, and off we went. It is yeah. funny though, like that's and you're right. I think that would be the lasting image if they had won Game Seven. It's funny how like you sit here and talk about you know these storybook endings in sports, and they just they don't always work. Like you forget about yeah, that. Right. Like, sometimes the best story doesn't play out. Um, which is unfortunate for them and unfortunate for him because you know, losing game seven at home in the way they did is you know what's, uh, unfortunate end to that run. You know what's funny, though, about how – not ha-ha funny about the jaw thing, but it, it does just kind of underscore what we were talking about, about his selflessness. Remember, so he hurt his jaw, I think it was in the second period of game four, and – he went back to the bench. Remember that the entire yeah. third period, he, he came there. out during the intermission and he, he skated around during the uh, uh, right when the intermission was concluding. But I don't think he took a single shift. In the no, he didn't. Period. Yeah. But like the Blues still had to prepare for him to be around. Um, and so it's just like the deception. Like the guy's jaw was literally broken, and anybody would have forgiven him for being like, you know, what? I'm just gonna hang back in the room and let them take a look at this. Yeah. They're like, no, like, well, we'll show right back up. I'll roll out on the bench. He's sitting there with his freaking jaw broken for well, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. That's the thing, too, is, like, the ovation before game five and the fact that they lost the series overshadowed the fact that the guy played <laughs> games five, six, and seven. Like, he actually played hockey. Like, right. it wasn't like he just skated out there to take his applause. And then the series is over, and he didn't like he played hockey. It's insane. Well, and I do remember it being weird too, because I I was at Game Five for work purposes, yeah. And that was the game that Tyler Bozak tripped 
Nolan yep. Chari, and it went uncalled, and the Bruins ended up losing that game. Like, for as iconic as the Chari thing yeah, was, right. that was probably the most controversial game and, of the series in terms of the result. So, like, for as big as it was, like, that was post-game, that was, like, a blip on the radar. It was like, well, we have to ask Char about this, but, like, right. people cared more about what Nolan Chari had to say about getting upended. Um, they, so didn't it is, play, like, like, they didn't play especially well either like it was that yeah so it's like if they if they win that game I mean there, there's probably a lot more that comes out of it I remember you know uh, bef- and before that game too like what was it John Moore who had the quote that's like I'm gonna tell my kids about this yep. meanwhile yeah. John Moore is playing through like a broken shoulder yeah and it's you know just the way he kind of galvanize that group is pretty impressive and it is a real from a pure storyline perspective it is a real shame that things didn't pan out in 2019 because like you know he deserved that one yeah yeah that's sports so sports uh, indeed do you have anything else Logan? no all right cool this has been fun um be sure to uh, tune in to char at a thousand sunday night on nesson at 7 p.m eastern uh, if you're eating a late dinner, you can also catch it again at 8 p.m., uh, an encore presentation. I'm sure it'll be on a lot. Uh, make sure to set the DVRs right now, uh, and you won't, you know, then you can watch it whenever you want. You can watch it as many times as you want, whenever you want. Uh, so do that as well. Um, be sure to check out Nesson.com slash Bruins, where you can find all of the, uh, you know, we have a countdown of his greatest moments, uh, a few other interesting things there as well. Uh, and be sure to subscribe to the Ness and Bruins podcast where you can get more of uh, more podcasts like this. You and I will, well, by the time this comes out, we'll have already chatted about other stuff. So there's a lot going on. For nothing going on, there's a lot going on. That's true. Two podcasts in one week, back-to-back like, days. Should we wow. turn this into a daily? Oh, now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a, our greatest work yet to, to come up with a, a daily's worth of podcast about the Bruins who – are still, by all accounts, uh, probably two months away from playing an actual hockey yeah, game. That's probably true. So, all right. Um, yeah, make sure to tune in. Uh, enjoy that on Sunday night. Uh, maybe we'll do a little quick recap uh, of it next week as well. Um, but uh, that's been it uh, for a special edition of the Nest Podcast. I'm Mike. That's Logan. Uh, we'll catch you again soon. See ya.